how much our world has changed in the past 10 days. Did, did, did we ever imagine that in a city like Mumbai, a majority of us will be working out of home? Did we ever imagine that we would all be petrified of a cough? Did we ever imagine that all of us would wash our hands 25 times a day? I've been using a hand sanitizer not just for my hands, but for my beard as well, just as a matter of abundant uh, caution. Jokes apart, things can go really bad from here. Things are quite bad already. Think of the professional world. This is appraisal time here in March. What a time for this virus to hit the business landscape. Uh, I think because of everything that's happening, we can all kiss our promotions and our increments goodbye. Many airlines, if things continue like this, can go bankrupt in the next few months. The economy is slowing down. Fear of layoffs is real. The stock markets have crashed. And the saddest of it all, Thousands are dying. Over 12,000 people have lost their lives so far all over the world because of this virus. Our world has changed unimaginably over the past 10 days. As we cope with all of this, this crisis is also demanding that we take stock of how we are faring as disciples of Christ Jesus. And that's what I'm hoping to do in the sermon this morning. Help us take stock of how we are faring as disciples of Christ. And I also hope to give us some very practical pathways to grow as disciples of Jesus. The Bible passage we're going to be looking at this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself to Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, God made him 
Christ Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. Allow me to pray for us. Father, we pray, Lord, that as we come under your word, may your spirit move in our hearts, helping us to see where we stand as disciples of Christ Jesus, helping us to grow as disciples of Jesus, and helping us to respond to this global situation as disciples of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like to draw three things for us uh, from this uh, passage. Seeing our hearts, these two stages of faith and growing in our faith. Seeing our hearts, the two stages of faith and growing in our faith. Let's start with seeing our hearts. Imagine with me that you're standing in a train, in a moving train or in a bus. And like most times, I mean, the train ride is smooth, the bus ride is smooth, and we're probably on our phones texting or checking out Instagram. Life is good. The bus is moving smoothly, the train is moving smoothly, and suddenly there is a jolt. What would you do? The first thing we're going to do is just grab at something. When there is a sudden jolt or disruption, we, get, we grab at something for support and security. We look to something to support us. We grab at something to stop ourselves from falling down. It's very helpful to see the COVID-19 situation, to see this virus situation through this illustrations. illustration. The coronavirus is a major disruption. It has disrupted everything. This is a sudden jolt to the entire world. And here's what I'd like you to think about. What did you grab at to find stability in this disruption? <clears throat> what did you grab at? What are you holding on to right now? Is it Christ or is it something else? Let's go back to the same illustration. Imagine you are standing in the bus or train and it's moving smoothly. Again, there's a sudden disruption. Every bus or train has many supports. It has many uh, vertical rods and, and horizontal railings and that you can, you can grab onto. Some of them are at arm's length. Some of those supports are two feet away. Some of those railings that you can hold onto are five feet away. Some are 10 feet away. Some are 20 feet away. When the disruption happens, at the moment of disruption, when you're, when you're searching for support to hold on to, which of these railings will you instinctively grab? Will you grab the railing that is at arm's length, that is closest to you, or will you grab at something that's 10 meters away? Quite obviously, we are going to grab the support that is closest to our body. And we are not going to grab at something that's that's 10 feet away. We're going to grab at what is closest to us. Now apply the same illustrations to your response to the COVID-19 
crisis. Whatever you grabbed at, at first in this crisis, whatever you grabbed at most instinctively in this crisis is the support that is closest to your heart. If you immediately and instinctively reached out to Christ for your support, that tells you that Christ is indeed the support that is closest to your heart. On the other hand, if your first reaction was to see if your job was secure, what does that tell you about the support that is closest to your heart? If your first reaction was to see the value of your systematic investment plans or how much your savings you have and how much is the value of the savings, what does that tell you about the support that is closest to your heart? And that's why I said that this crisis is a great opportunity for us to objectively see how we are faring as disciples of Christ Jesus. Let me call you to see one more thing. This crisis can help us distinguish between real support and fake support. How do you distinguish? How do you distinguish between real support and fake support? A real support will actually support you in times of disruption. It will stop you from falling. A fake support, on the other hand, will not support you. On the contrary, a fake support will demand that you support it in a time of crisis. A fake support will not only fail to support you, it will demand that you support it in the time of crisis. Let me give you an example to help us see this better. In this time of disruption, is your job going to support you or are you going to have to work harder to ensure that you don't lose your job or, or don't lose your increment? In this crisis, who is supporting who? Are you supporting? Are you working harder? Are you supporting your job? Are you working harder to ensure you don't lose your job? Or is your job or your career supporting you? Who is supporting you? The fake support will demand we support it. It's not going to support us. And that's the difference between Christ, our ultimate support, and all other fake supports. All other fake supports demand we do something. Christ did everything on our behalf. In our crisis, in, in crisis times like this, Christ will never abandon us. He will support us. Don't hear me wrong. Our careers are a gift from God. Our job is a gift from God. They are a blessing to us and they are God's blessing to others through the work we do, through the work of our hands. But all of us so often place our trust in our careers more than we place our trust in God. That's what I'm talking about here. We cannot cherish, we cannot trust in moments of crisis and at any other time. We cannot trust our careers or anything else more than we trust in Christ. I use this illustration to bring the first phrase from the first verse of the Bible passage we are looking at today, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us. 
what has been compelling you the most this past week of this corona crisis what's been compelling you the most the word compel points to the deepest and the strongest motivations of our heart what has your heart been compelling you the most this past week what has your heart been demanding that you do what is your heart demanding of you in this moment of crisis is your heart compelled by fear and anxiety is your heart compelling you to work like crazy so that you don't lose your job is your job compelling you to stock up and, and stuff your kitchen and fridge on provisions and all the good food that you need for the next two months is your heart compelling you to buy toilet paper for the next two years <laughs> that was a joke it's hard to preach online you don't know if people are laughing at your jokes uh, uh, or not <laughs> is your heart compelling you to get a faster internet connection so you can binge watch netflix without any disruption because you have so much free time on your hands is your heart compelling is our hearts compelling us to take stock of our personal finances and savings again and again and again 25 times a day or is the love of christ compelling our hearts this past week during the crisis what has your heart been compelled by allow me to go back and remind us how the leadership at new city church responded to this crisis this crisis hit us bad last Saturday and we had to cancel our service last Sunday. We went online. And what was the first thing we did on Monday morning? On Monday morning, we sent out a message to all of us at New City calling us to humble ourselves before God and to come together online to reflect on God's word together at 8.30 every morning and come back together again at 8.30 p.m. Every, every evening for a time of prayer both on Zoom calls. You see, New City's train ride was jolted. New City's bus ride was disrupted. And what was the first support we grabbed at? Christ Jesus. We grabbed at Christ Jesus for support. We reached out to Him and through His Word and through prayer for support. What I'm about to say, I say extremely carefully. I don't mean to scare you, I don't mean to make you fearful, I definitely don't mean to judge you, and I don't mean for you to feel condemned. I only mean to call you to greater faith. If you're part of New City, this is for you. Did you respond to this call and reach out to Christ for your support? Or were you indifferent to this call? Or did you reject this call and seek some other support? Please don't hear me wrong. Whatever you did, God is not angry with you. He is sad, perhaps, but not angry if you didn't reach out to Him for support in this time of crisis. God's not going to punish us. He'll discipline us in His love, perhaps, so that we grow in our faith, so that we grow in our trust in Him, but He's never going to punish us. God is not rejecting us. God is calling us. 
God is not condemning us. If you are convicted this moment in your heart that this past week, your heart has not been compelled by Jesus. Your heart has been compelled by so many other things. That's, that's where you are. God is not condemning us. God is convicting us. And God is calling us again as He has been calling us a million times over in our lives so far. And as He will continue calling us a million times in our lives ahead, He's calling us, will you respond to this call to grow in your faith in Christ Jesus? Will you reject all fake supports? Will you, will you allow your hearts to see how shallow everything else is? Will you see in this moment of crisis how fleeting our world is? Only Christ is permanent. Only Christ is the ultimate security. What is your heart being compelled by? That's the first thing I wanted to do from this passage. Help us see our hearts. As I've been saying, this crisis is a great opportunity for us to take stock of how we are faring as disciples of Christ. Now I know that at New City, many of us reached out and grabbed to Christ for support instinctively, immediately as the crisis hit us. I want to celebrate with you. I know so many of us signed up to the calls where we were reading one chapter of the Bible and praying together at 8.30 every morning. I know so many of us signed up for that half an hour of prayer at 8.30 p.m. every evening. What a joy it has been. To, to be part of those calls, to pray together, to, to humble ourselves together, to read God's word together, to pray through God's word together. What a joy that has been. I believe God is calling even the rest of us into that joy. And that brings us to the second thing I'd like to draw for us from this passage. The two stages of faith. The two stages of faith. We are looking at a relatively small passage today. There are only nine verses to be precise in this passage. And even in this small passage, the two distinct stages of faith are being pointed out to us at least two different times in the passage. Let me help us see this. Look at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. So the first stage of faith is seeing that Christ died for all. We see that. We receive that. That's the first stage of faith. The second stage of faith is therefore all died. Christ died for us. Therefore we die to ourselves. Can you see the two stages of faith here? Believe Christ Jesus died for us. That's the first stage. The second stage of faith is to be compelled by that truth and reality and to lay down our lives to serve others. You can see the two stages of faith again in verse 18. Allow me to read that for us. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So in the first stage of faith, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and we receive that we believe in that that's the first stage of faith the second stage of faith is he gave us the ministry of reconciliation that's the second stage 
Verse 20 amplifies the second stage of faith for us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God is making his appeal through us. So in very simple words, there are two stages of faith in Christ. The first stage is God blessing us. The first stage is God protecting us in a time of crisis like this. The first stage is God giving us good health, a home where we can isolate ourselves, where we can follow social distancing uh, guidelines. That's the first stage, God saving us, God redeem us, God redeeming us, God blessing us, receiving that. The second stage of faith is us becoming God's channel of blessing to others. We see these two stages of faith being played out in all of scripture. If you remember, when Jesus called his disciples, this is what he said. Come follow me, Jesus said. First level of faith, following Jesus, and I will make you fishers of men. Second stage of faith. Two stages of faith. Again, this COVID-19 crisis is very helpful for us to take, object, take an objective look at where we are standing. Let me invite you to think about this. This past week, which stage of faith have we been operating in? It's a good question to ask ourselves. This past week, have we been primarily concerned about our job, our health, our security? Or have we found moments to think about, to care about other people? If you're listening to this on Instagram Live, and if you understand English, you are probably among the top two to three percent of India's 1.3 billion people. We are a privileged people. We have been blessed disproportionately over others. And at times of crisis like this, we have a gospel responsibility to think about those who don't have the privileges that we have. This past week, have we thought about others? This is a good and a true test. Since the virus disrupted the world, which level of faith have we been operating on? Have we been operating at the first level of faith, which is basically receiving God's blessing? Or have we been operating, have we also been operating at the second level of faith where we are also beginning to move out and be God's channel of blessing to others. You see, our quickest and most instinctive impulses often reveal our deepest character. Our quickest and most instinctive impulses often reveal our deepest character. Under normal circumstances, when the world is going smoothly, or at least when there's no big crisis, we can never know our deepest impulses or our deepest character. Only disruptions like the one we are all experiencing now, only disruptions like this will peel away the layers of pretension and performance and reveal the real us. What is this crisis revealing about your faith in Christ to you? 
What is this crisis telling you about your faith in Jesus? Stay with me here, please. This passage has given us two very sharp questions to think about. The first question, what is the most compelling reality in our lives right now? Is the love of Christ compelling us the most or is something else compelling us more? The second question, am I operating in the first stage of faith where I'm merely receiving God's blessing or am I operating in the second stage or am I also operating in the second stage of faith where I'm also passing on God's blessing to others? Wherever you may be, whichever stage you may be, I want to assure you there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can assure you every single one of us, myself first over the last one week, we have failed desperately in loving and caring for others because our lives are measured by God, by the standard that Christ has set. We've all failed, but Christ has made up and is making up for all of our failure. So in every circumstance, in every adversity, God is not condemning us, God is sanctifying us. So, so if you feel convicted, if you feel you failed the last one, one week, there is hope. God is allowing you to feel that, not to condemn you, not to judge you, but to call you to greater faith and blessing. This COVID-19 crisis can be a defining moment in our spiritual lives. This can be a defining moment for so many of us in our lives as followers of Christ Jesus. And so I ask a question, could the coronavirus actually help us grow as disciples of Jesus? Let me put it this way. God loves adversity. Not that we would fail in that adversity because of our sin, but that we would succeed through our faith in Christ Jesus. Could the coronavirus actually be the trigger to help us grow from the first stage of faith to the second? And that brings us to the third and the last thing I'd like to draw for us from the passage, growing in our faith. If in the past few minutes, if you experience conviction, you not that we've not lived up to, to God's gospel standard. How do we grow in our faith? How do we grow from just operating out of the first stage of faith to operating more and more in the second stage of faith? How do we grow from merely receiving God's blessing to also being God's channel of blessing to others? This, this passage promises us that we have become a new creation. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. The question is how did we become a new creation? How did we as followers of Jesus, how did we become a new creation? The passage answers this question as well. It answers this question in verse 21. Let me read that out. God made him, Christ Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Christ who had no sin to be sin offering for us so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of God. This is the new creation. We became God's new creation. We became the righteousness of God because our sin was laid on Christ. In one devotional on this verse, John Piper wrote this. This is the gospel, the good news, that our sins are laid on Christ and His righteousness is laid on us. Our sins are laid on Christ and His righteousness is laid on us. Let that, let that sink in. Our sins are laid on Christ and His righteousness is laid on us. There are two images here. The first image is our sin being laid on Christ. And we see that image in Christ being crucified, hanging on the cross, mangled, beaten, bruised, mocked, insulted, stripped, in pain, in agony. All his disciples have deserted him. He's dying on the cross, hanging on that tree, bearing our sin. And he cries out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Father turned his face away. That's the first image. We see that. We, we can comprehend that. We see the, the moment. That's the first image. Our sin being laid on Christ. But there is also a second image. The second image is of Christ's righteousness being laid on us. And this second paradigm is hard to comprehend. It's hard to visualize. Christ's righteousness, the righteousness of Christ being laid on us. This is so hard to comprehend, but it is true. This is so hard to visualize, but it is true. Think about this. The full and complete and perfect and dazzling and eternal righteousness of Christ has been laid on us. It has been laid on us. You see, God, think about this, God did not give us salvation in two stages. He did not first forgive our sins and then wait for a few years to see if we behaved well. And if we behaved well, then He gave us the righteousness of Christ. No! That's not how, that's not what God did. God gave us both the stages of salvation in one go. He laid our sin on Christ. And He laid the righteousness of Christ on us. You see, God held nothing back. He gave us His all. He gave us His all. Having received the all of God, how can we not give back all of us to God? Having received all of God, how can we not give back all of us to God? This is the hope we have. This is the solution to our struggle. This is how we move from the first stage to the second stage of faith. We do this by just fixing our eyes on Jesus, seeing what he has done for us and allowing our hearts to be compelled by the love of Christ. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. The love of Christ is the only thing that can enable us and empower us 
to move from the first stage of faith to the second stage. I don't want to give us some practical pathways, but I want to pray first. This moment is heavy with Christ Jesus. I want us to feel, I want us to experience the reality, the truth, the beauty of the righteousness of Christ having been laid on us. Allow me to pray. After I pray, I'll spend a couple of minutes on some practical uh, pathways. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Lord, you can move on Instagram Live. You can move on Zoom. And I pray that to everyone who's listening, everyone who's looking to Christ Jesus this morning, would you help us feel and experience, or truly experience, the reality, the truth, the beauty of the righteousness of Christ being laid on us. God made him sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Help us experience this, Lord. Help us, Lord, in this time of crisis. Lord, we need the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, the world needs us, Lord. You have placed us in this time, in this moment, in this generation. You have placed us to be a blessing. Lord, would you give us grace that we would not fail you, Lord, in this time of crisis. Would you help us just experience the reality of the righteousness of Christ being laid on us. Spirit of God, move in us and help us to live our lives out of the righteousness of Christ. Help us to live off this righteousness of Christ. Not in our own failures, but it will help us to live in the righteousness of Christ. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Before I close, I want to give us a couple of practical ways to live out the righteousness of Christ that has already been laid on us. First, we do not, we do not and we cannot contribute anything more to the righteousness of Christ that has already been laid on us. We cannot contribute, but we can only participate. We don't add, we bring nothing to the table. We just enjoy what's been given to us. We only, we cannot contribute, but we must participate. And if you're part of New City, I want to encourage you to do a few things. And I'm sure if you're from another church and you're listening, I'm sure your church has, has things planned out for you. If you don't plug into a church that's, that's closest to you, you need, we all need the local church. Plug into a church. Commit yourself to a church. If you're in a new city, here are a few very practical things. Participate in our 8.30 a.m. and 8.30 p.m. calls every day. Most of us are working out of home now. Mumbai is shut down. There's a lockdown until 31st March. Only essential services are going to work. Most offices are going to be closed. Use that time. Log in to the 8.30 morning call, 8.30 a.m. morning call, where we are reading through one chapter of the Bible, praying through it, meditating through it. And join us for the 8.30 p.m. call, where we're just praying for the nation, praying for the world. These two things help us be grounded in Christ. In a time of crisis, we need this. We need this. The second practical thing, when you wake up every morning, I want to I encourage us, I want to invite us to think of this very simple question. Who can I encourage today? Who can I care for today? We have to observe social distancing, uh, but we can talk to people. 
we can call them, we can we can FaceTime with them, or you can we can encourage people. So every morning, if we can think of one person within the church community that we can encourage, and one person outside of the church community in the world that we can encourage. The world needs encouragement. The world needs hope. And we have Christ Jesus, the greatest hope for all of eternity. So very simple ways. If we are just mindful, who can I be? Who can I encourage? Who can I serve? Who can I pray for? Two very simple, practical pathways. I hope this time has been a blessing. Uh, make the most. This is a forced time of rest. We can, we can make this count. And we can be a blessing to the world around us because Christ has blessed us and empowered us to be that. That's the call on every one of us as followers of Jesus.